This is The Big Pond. I'm Flon Williams in Washington, D.C. George is out of the gate first. Here's Tom, Abe, and Teddy. Tom is now in the lead. George is in second. Abe is in third. At the baseball stadium over at the D.C. waterfront, there's a mid-game diversion on the field. It's a foot race featuring 10-foot-tall body puppet heads of four American presidents, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abe Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. They're headed through the right field corner, passing the Nationals' bullpen. Who's going to take the win? It's a real race, but the Teddy Roosevelt mascot almost always loses. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, you can take the family to enjoy a musical puppet show that teaches kids in a fun way about dinosaurs. You've heard about Shark Tooth, that's big old T-Rex, whose breath probably made a big stick. Or Ankylosaurus, he was built like a tank, searching the desert for something to drink. A creative force behind both of these events is a seasoned veteran puppeteer and puppet builder named Ingrid Crapo. And an important milestone in Ingrid's journey to become a puppet master happened across the pond in the German city of Darmstadt in the late 1950s. My dad was in the Air Force, and we were stationed in Germany. We actually flew across the ocean in a propeller plane with a a refueling stop at the Azores, and it took 17 hours. Then we stayed in Germany for three years and flew back on a jet. So we went from the Dark Ages to the modern times while I was in Germany. Ingrid arrived in Darmstadt at age 11, and she quickly became enthralled with the town. It is the most livable, delightful city I have ever been in in my whole life. It has a Straßenbahn, and back then it was so cheap, we just went everywhere on a Straßenbahn. And it it had a, a wonderful center of town, which just was so inviting. It had a centerplatz with a big statue of Ludwig, so of course... He was called Langalui. And you just say, I'll meet you at Langalui. One major draw at the Darmstadt Centerplatz was a department store, which offered one very special attraction for Ingrid. It had one whole room of nothing but puppets. I was in heaven. Just to go and look at all those puppets was pretty thrilling. And then at Christmas time, the whole Centerplatz was just gorgeous. All lit up and and beautiful. And in the Kaufhof, they had the windows lined up. And you start at window one, and they would start a puppet show. Then you'd go to the next scene, you'd walk to the next window, see the next scene of the puppet show, and then you go to the next window, and you took like four windows, and you saw a little puppet show. Ingrid attended a school for the children of American military families in Darmstadt. And the school also hosted extracurricular events, One season, they scheduled a series of puppet shows on Saturday afternoons. This puppeteer, who I'm not sure I remember his name, but I think it's Herr Englisch. I have gone back and explored who that might have been. And if it was Herr Englisch, he was a national treasure in the art of Kasperle, which is the German equivalent of Punch and Judy. The Kasperle tradition in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland emerged from earlier puppet show motifs in the middle of the 19th century. The tradition takes its name from the puppet character known as Kasper. Kasper is a sort of positive everyman, helping his friends and making jokes while valiantly fighting stock villains such as a witch, a devil, or even a crocodile. Or, auf Deutsch, 
Krokodil. Ist das Krokodil schon da gewesen? Ja. Wer war das? Das Krokodil? Das macht ja Geräusche. Und wie ein kaputter Staubsauger. Wollt ihr mir alle helfen? Gut, dann klappt das auch. Passt auf. Zu Hause bei meiner Großmutter habe ich eine riesengroße, lange Wäscheleine. Soll ich die mal holen? Und damit werden wir das Krokodil verdammt And Casper's character has persisted, from olden times right up into the age of YouTube videos. For Ingrid, back in 1950s Darmstadt, the opportunity to see her English perform was thrilling. He was doing three performances. I bought three tickets. I was going to see it three times, because what could be better? And so being 12 and much taller than all the little kids who came to see the puppet show, I stuck out like a sore thumb, I'm sure. But I, I loved the puppet show, and I got back in line to get back in to see the second one. And Herr Englisch signaled me to come on over and talk to him. And, and I said, okay, why not? So I went over, and... I don't even know if I spoke English or German, frankly. I, I probably spoke a mix of it with him. And he said, so you like puppets? And I said, oh, I love puppets. I think they're wonderful. And that was a terrific puppet show. And he said, okay, in this show, you will be the chicken. And it was like, okay. So he took me backstage. And it was amazing. It was miraculous. Behind the puppet stage wall, Ingrid got to see where hand puppets were placed for quick access, where sound effect noisemakers were rigged, all the tools of this puppeteer's trade. He could get at everything with just inches from where it needed to be. And he operated things with his foot. In fact, he used to call it, he said, every puppeteer wants five hands. So I have two. And then he pointed to his knee and he hit a bell with his knee. He says, so that's hand number three. And then he had a foot pedal that did, he said, that's hand number four. And then he, I can't remember what hand number five was, but he was just a clever, clever man. On that Saturday, Ingrid Crapo quickly advanced from being a member of the audience to become a cast member in what had been a one-man show. It was a great chance to learn the ropes, but she also got to teach Herr English a thing or two. I got to play the chicken in two different shows. The chicken was really ingenious. I have made this puppet since then. It was made out of a feather duster, and it had some kind of a springy head on it. So all you had to do was jiggle it, and it was very funny looking. And I had thought the, the chicken was pretty cool in the first show, except that I wasn't quite sure whether it was a chicken or not. So when it came time for me to do the chicken, he nodded his head, I stuck the chicken up, and I went, bawk, 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 bawk. got a huge laugh, which he hadn't gotten in the first show. So after the show, he says, Fossa says, bok, bok, bok. That's what chickens say in America? So I, I realized he had said, kluk, 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 which American kids didn't get. So from then on, I was his animal translator. So on every Saturday for the remainder of the series, Ingrid was in the audience for the first performance and then became part of the show. I would buy one ticket because my mother insisted I buy one ticket after all. And then see the show so I'd know what it was about and then watch the second two backstage. And, you know, like the second day, I did the thunderclap. Do you know what a thunderclap? It's a big piece of metal and you beat it with these soft mallets and it sounds like thunder. It was really cool. So every time he would give me something to do and between 
shows while waiting for the audience, he would teach me how to be a puppeteer. It was the kind of stuff that you can't get anywhere else. It was amazing. And what he said to me was he wasn't going to teach me how to make a puppet. That was my problem. Figure it out. But he was going to teach me how to make a puppet breathe. And that might be a German idiom or something. He might have said it in German. Or he might have said breathe life into it. Or That was the implication, to bring it to life. And his puppets were not sophisticated. Uh, they didn't have moving eyes. They didn't have moving mouths. But when you were in the audience, you swore they did. Because he was such a master manipulator that his posturing with the puppet gave it such life that your imagination filled in all the rest, filled in the mouth, filled in the blinking eyes. And it was quite amazing. The guidance Herr Englich passed on to Ingrid in between shows during those Saturday sessions included some very specific tips about how to make a puppet communicate. According to Herr Englisch, a puppet can express all emotions if it can nod its head yes, if it can shake its head no, and then if it can tilt its head from side to side, which he called vielleicht, 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 or perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. And he told me to watch dogs which was really cool, because he said, look at a dog. And when you come in the room, the dog cocks his head to one side, and what is he saying? Are you in- interesting? Are you going to scratch my tummy? Are you going to give me something to eat? Because it, that's, that's the question look. Between those three movements, if a puppet can do that, you can get all human emotion, and he would show me. He would say, this is sad, this is happy, this is... You know, and uh, it, it was just a marvelous education But for Herr Englich, playing to an audience of American kids may have presented a challenge. These American children didn't bring to his performance the cultural knowledge that his usual crowds of German kids would already have known from a young age. Ingrid remembers later getting to see his puppet shows with a German audience. The Kasperla tradition has a number of set storylines that progressed over a period of time, and German kids would see them throughout their lives and practically be able to recite some of the lines with them. Once there was a song uh, that he sang every time he came up, and the audience sang it with him. The American kids didn't know that, but the German kids were shouting at the puppet and doing all kinds of things that the American kids didn't know to do. So they must have really thrown him if that was the first time he'd performed for American kids. But I, I loved it. Ingrid's adventure with Herr Englich in Darmstadt wasn't her first opportunity to play with puppets, but her earlier experience had nearly soured her on the whole idea. This was when her father was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska, and Ingrid was six years old. The uh, local community center on post would have these classes all summer, so you could go and take golf lessons, tennis lessons, or swimming lessons, or this or that or the other. And uh, so they offered puppet classes. And my mother and her best friend, Mrs. Green, signed Cag Green, my brother and me, up for puppet lessons. And so we went, and uh, it was awful. It was the most awful thing imaginable. These GIs, dressed in olive drab, barked at us. Get in line. You're going to make a puppet. You're going to have fun. You know, that kind of thing. So you get in line. Somebody comes along and sticks a tube on your finger. And then you walk to the next station and they stick this glop of ugly, gray, bleh, on top of the tube. And then they tell you, okay, go home, come back next week. It'll be dry and you'll make a puppet. 
This was not an encouraging introduction to the world of puppetry. But would it get better the next week? Usually I was the kind of kid who would have gone home and told my mother, forget it, I'm not going back. But for some reason, Cag Green and my brother Dick and I went back, and my best friend Nancy was there too through this whole process. And and the next Saturday, it was the same thing. Somebody put the tube and the gloppy thing it was all dry now, paper mache, on my finger. And then we went to a painting station and somebody painted it white. And then he went to the next station and they said, what do you want to make? And I'm sure I said nothing because they were rude and ugly people. I didn't like them. So they just painted it, <laughs> whatever it was. It looked like a clown. But anybody who said nothing or didn't know what they were making, they got a clown. My older brother picked Davy Crockett. After the faces were all painted on, we sat around and played games, and then they, the paint was dry, and they said, take your heads home and have your mothers make the costumes. It sounds like week two was almost as bad as week one. Would the third visit rescue Ingrid from this painful bit of summer camp blues? Cag Green's mother didn't sew, so my mother made Cag's and my clown costume, and she made the most exquisite gorgeous Davy Crockett costume you've ever seen in your life. She took an old piece of fur off of a parka and made a coonskin cap, and my father hand-carved a musket. I mean, this was just the best puppet you've ever seen in your life, with a hideous head, but the costume was just breathtaking. So we took them all back the next week. Nancy and I and Keg all had clowns, and my brother had Davy Crockett, of course. So we were in line, and the mean, ugly man barked at us and herded the three clowns back behind this puppet booth and said, now, put on a puppet show. This guy had no, no clue how to deal with children. He was clueless. But for Ingrid that day, out of stage fright came an inspiration. Here I am, a painfully shy child. Something miraculously came over me. And I stuck that clown up into the rectangle that's the puppet booth. And my clown said, I am Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. And this is my best friend, Fred. And I nudged Nancy was Fred, and say, hi, I'm Fred. And then I said, look out, Fred, here comes a very scary bear. And I told Keg, hey, Keg, growl. So he stuck his clown up and growl. And the audience is going bananas. They're laughing themselves silly. And the more they laughed, the more outrageous I got. And Keg and Nancy were just going along with the joke. And we did one of those hand wrestles, you know, back and forth until I kicked Keg and said, I win, don't forget. And, <laughs> and then Davy Crockett said, I saved you, Fred, the end. And uproar, it was like uproar of laughter and clapping. And the, the mean man made us come out and take a big bow and... I don't remember the rest of the day. I just floated like this. My first performance was a huge success. So that's what got me hooked on puppets. After this early taste of applause and her later time apprenticing with Herr English in Darmstadt, Ingrid Krapo and her family returned to America. Her passion for puppets continued there. I got two friends in ninth grade, and we started a puppet company, and we did it all through high school. We performed at libraries and malls. Those were our gigs. And we actually made a little bit of money, but mostly it was fun. 
Ingrid needed a puppet stage to do those performances, and thanks to some support from her parents, she was able to build one. But that cooperation came with a condition. My mom was great. She used to let any one of us take over the house. I mean, literally, take over the house. But she made you sign a contract. You'd start on this day, and you'd end on this day. And she did that because she knew too many people who started things and didn't finish them, and she wanted this to be an important life lesson. So I signed a contract that I would build this puppet stage. We had no basement, no garage. My father and I built it in the living room and dining room, but my kid brother remembers having dinner under the dining room table because there was all this puppet stuff on top of it. I don't remember doing that, but it doesn't surprise me. Later, Ingrid and her puppet inspirations wound up in Washington, D.C., and through connections in the theater community, she got involved with Dino Ruck, a performing company that would become a Washington institution. Michelle Valerie was a local artist. She and I had 11 friends in common and didn't know each other. She was asked by the Smithsonian to take her first dinosaur record to turn it into something theatrical that could be done at the Discovery Theater. She had done a concert of it, and it was wildly successful at the Smithsonian, so that's why they asked her to do the theatrical. So she asked all the puppeteers she know if they would make her something big, and every one of them said, if you want big, you have to see Ingrid. And what, you don't know Ingrid? No, you've got to know Ingrid. We talked, and I listened to this dinosaur record, absolutely fell in love with it. And all she wanted was a big T-Rex foot and an egg and a, I don't know, a couple little things. But I heard this record, and I said, oh, no, she's got to have way more than that. So I took her out to dinner, and I gave her a proposition she just couldn't pass up. I told her if she let me do it, I would make a dinosaur that small children, like three and under, would believe they had met a real live dinosaur. Well, who could pass that up? Ankylosaur, Apatosaur, Protoceratops, Myosaur, Pachycephalosaur, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah! I get a big thrill when I find a bone. A bigger thrill is when the bone is not alone. But the biggest thrill, at least for me, is that dinosaurs are still a mystery. So the first Dino Rock theatrical event came together. It turned out to be a hit with the younger set. But Ingrid's ideas about realistic, non-scary dinosaur puppets would require some tweaking along the way. The very first dinosaur show we did at the Smithsonian, I had created a 16-foot tall, long-necked dinosaur. The set was like trying to be a Smithsonian exhibit about dinosaurs. And I thought it would be really funny if the dinosaur stood there as if it was a model uh, with me hiding, of course, very still, not move. And then at some point in the show, she would spring to life. Well, some point in the show, she sprang to life. Uh, small children wet their pants, went running and screaming. It was the most embarrassing, awful moment. So after that, 
we had the house manager for the Smithsonian say, uh, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. She's going to be in the show, and she's very tall. So look up over there. Dinah, would you come out? And Dinah would come out and go, oh, hi, everybody. I'm going to stand here and pretend to be a big dummy. So don't tell anybody that I'm real, okay? And then it was okay. Nobody ever was scared after that. But surprising young children <laughs> is not a good idea. That was the big takeaway from that lesson. Over the years, Dino Rock shows have become a rite of passage for generations of children in Washington and elsewhere. And more shows have joined the rotating repertory of Ingrid and Michelle's theater company. We have two dinosaur shows at the moment, Dinosaur Babies and Dinosaur Book of World Records, where we talk about the tallest and the shortest and that kind of stuff. And a show called Junkyard Pirates, which is about recycling and saving the earth. And all the puppets are made out of stuff either from the trash or from the secondhand store and things like that. In all of these shows, there's one constant. Ingrid is either behind a set manipulating hand puppets or she's performing inside a large body puppet. Michelle Valerie is out front. She's the intermediary Puppets and clowns and things can be terrifying to very young children. So she proves to the children that she's not going to be eaten, so maybe they won't be eaten either. And we found that uh, to be a, a very helpful thing. We did a show yesterday, and this little girl... This is a show where kids watch me get into the puppets. We make no hiding. They all know that I'm doing the puppets, if they want to know. But she didn't want to know. Watching me get into it made it not scary, but once I was in it, it was completely real to her, and uh, she believed it was real. So after the show, her mother said, I'm trying to tell my daughter that they're not dinosaurs, that they're puppets. She wouldn't buy it. She had seen real dinosaurs, and that kind of thing has happened many times. The success of these shows led indirectly to another puppet adventure for Ingrid. At a reception following a dino rock performance on Capitol Hill, she got to see gigantic body puppets, lots of them, and all of them affiliated with the Washington area's professional sports teams. At this party, Teddy Roosevelt of the Racing Presidents was there. Talon, the mascot for uh, the D.C. United, was there. And the mascot for the basketball team was there. And Teddy, I had never seen him before. I'd, I'd been to baseball games, but before the Racing Presidents. And... Uh, I was just enthralled with this gigantic thing. So Michelle went up to the mascot coordinator and said, see that lady over there, pointing to me? Uh, she made all those dinosaurs that you saw, and she'd like to take a look at Teddy. I'm from Minnesota. I would never go up to somebody and ask them these things. So I went up, and I looked inside, and I said, oh, dear, this is really broken. Whoever did this didn't retemper the aluminum after they drilled the holes. And the mascot coordinator said, you know about this stuff? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, give me a card. Give me a couple cards. You know? <laughs> Game is now moving to lead on the outside. Tom's on the inside. Teddy is third. George is fourth. And it looks like the winner's going to be A! After that chance meeting, Ingrid was soon helping to repair, improve, and recostume the four racing presidents. These 10-foot-high body puppets run a foot race in the middle of the fourth inning at every Washington Nationals baseball home game. I come from a family of engineers. I come from a family of people that make things. So 
it wasn't foreign to me to know about tempering aluminum and using aircraft aluminum, not the stuff they sell at the hardware store. And what was happening was these puppets were supposed to be temporary. It's not really the fault of the guy who made them in, in New York. And then they were so popular, they wanted more and more and more. And in the way he had built them, not only did the aluminum break, but it was poking through the head of the puppet. So I figured the first thing I had to do was create a structure like snowshoes. Everything you learn in life, you can use. If the pole wasn't just against the head, but against something that would make the weight evenly distributed over the whole dome of the head, then nothing would ever poke through. My frames hold up pretty well. Sometimes the bolts in the frames break, but the frames themselves don't break. Ingrid's work with Michelle Valerie in the Dino Rock shows includes designing, building, and operating huge body puppets, plus singing and acting out the puppets' parts. But when you see the racing presidents run their races at the ballpark, Ingrid is not one of the people inside the puppets. She tried on Teddy Roosevelt at her home workshop just to see how it would feel. The very first time I had Teddy over here, I had to make sure that what I was doing would work. I put him on. And I put him on for 10 minutes. And I'd said, I don't know how they do this. I can't hold him any longer than this, much less run. So no, this is superhuman. And when you see the racing presidents in action, it becomes clear pretty quickly why some occasional repairs might be needed. They run into each other. They run into themselves. They just fall down on purpose. I make Star Wars Day costumes for these giant presidents. They're Star Wars characters. And so on top of being, Thomas Jefferson is 12 feet tall. He's got almost 50 pounds of weight, the performer, over his head. And then they got on bicycles. And they rode around on the dirt in the stadium. It's like, oh, it can't make it any harder, could you? But there's guys are such athletes. And they're so into what they do. They love this stuff. And Ingrid notes that there's one major difference between the talking dinosaur puppets she designs and inhabits for the Dino Rock shows and the sports mascot she helps to create. Mascots have wonderful mascot rules, among which is they can't talk. They do not talk. But they do communicate. It's just like Herr English. They communicate with posturing, and they make themselves understood. And 60 years after her preteen apprenticeship in Darmstadt with the German master puppeteer Herr English, Ingrid Krapo is still applying his lessons to delight American audiences. After those few weeks with Herr English, I said, that's it. I'm going to be a puppeteer. And I never deviated. Anybody asked me what I was going to be. Puppeteer. Puppeteer. So, And I am. <laughs> For The Big Pond, I'm Flon Williams. Wunderbar together. You've been listening to The Big Pond. A series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.